one strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. Baronta jumps on this pitch deep left field. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's the Final Strike Podcast brought to you by the Baltimore Battery with your host, Stephen Heckman. Episode 26 is underway. Uh, Hot, humid September day. Indian summer is amongst us. Orioles are off. Tonight starts the opening of the NFL season. So for you football fans out there, get ready uh, for the Chiefs and the Detroit Lions on Thursday night football. But we're not here to talk football. We're here to talk baseball. And the Orioles currently the best team in the American League. As we keep saying, you know, it's taken a while for people to understand that. But we're starting to get pundits around the nation to finally come around and pay attention to the type of team that we have and how exciting and fun they are. I mean, there's just so much to enjoy about this team. Currently 88-51, and three-and-a-half game lead over Tampa Bay in the wild card Best record in the AL, second best record in the majors. Atlanta's just playing great baseball. Atlanta honestly only has two more wins than us. Um, we have three more losses, so you know you're looking at about two and a half different two and a half difference in um, win margin there. Uh, Dodgers kind of have cooled off a little bit. Uh, they're four games behind us, but you know it's it's just exciting times in Baltimore. The magic number for us, if I remember correctly, to clinch. The division is 21 games. So 21 games, you know, we're currently at 139 games, which leaves us 23 games left. So we're going to see what happens. It's going to be fun going down the stretch. And as I said last week, when we were looking at the schedule, and I said, you know, they said the Orioles have the sixth easiest schedule going forward. We're getting ready to play a brutal stretch where from the 8th to the 24th, we do not have a single day off. Yet we travel from Boston home to Baltimore, where we have a seven-game homestand. Big homestand coming up uh, with Tampa Bay. That's a four-game series. Also, don't forget on the 15th, they're going to retire Adam Jones. He's coming back where he belongs. Don't forget to wear black if you go to that game. Um, But after that, we're going to go from Tampa home from Baltimore after the Tampa Bay series to Houston for three games, which is going to be another strong series. Remember, Houston's fighting for a playoff spot. Cleveland after Houston. So from Houston, we're going to go up to Cleveland and play there. Another team fighting for a playoff spot before we get an off day. And then we spend the final six games at home, two against Washington, four against Boston. And you know Boston's not going to just let roll over and play dead. And none of these teams are. And that's the thing that people need to understand. Boston is still fighting for a wild card spot. They might not have the best chance at getting one. But when you look at the updated standings, Boston is only, they're the third team back in the wild card. Unfortunately, I can't give you updated standings because nothing wants to cooperate with me right now. But Boston's not going to roll over and play dead. They're going to fight. They're going to compete. And it's going to be, it's an interdivision series, which is going to make it even stronger. Boston would love nothing more than to dampen the Orioles' parade. Whether they want to dampen it in favor of the Tampa Bay, I don't know. But I guarantee you, Boston is not going to go quietly. 
Boston currently six, sits 16 and a half games behind us. They're only five games out in the wild card. Five games with 23 games to play sounds like a lot, but you got to remember when the Braves and Boston blew seven and eight game leads in the last 10 days of the season. Anything can happen. This is baseball. Boston's five games back. Ahead of them, they have Texas, who's a half game back of a third wild card spot. Then you have Toronto, Seattle, and Tampa Bay currently in the three wild card spots. I don't know if anybody could have predicted or expected Texas to go where they are. I mean, you lose DeGrom, and you still were playing strong baseball. You get Max Scherzer and Montgomery, and all of a sudden, you all have completely lost everything under the sun. Three and seven in their last ten. They've lost three in a row. They've completely lost the division lead. I mean, they currently are in third place in that division. Houston. Houston. Yes, I'm saying Houston has leapfrogged over Texas. Seattle, who had actually had the division lead for a period of time, has come out of nowhere. And they're only a game back of the division lead, but they're two games over Texas. Nobody would have predicted this at the beginning of August. Seattle was the fourth team in the division. They were ranked fourth. The Angels were ahead of them. Now Seattle's been on this insane tear. And I brought this up last week as well. The thing with Seattle is you've got to caution the fact that they get hot too early. The playoffs are always about which team gets hot at the right time. You can get hot too early and burn out by the playoffs. You're useless. If you get hot too late, it could be too late to come back in a, in a series in the playoffs. Orioles are definitely going to be shooting for that number one seed. That number one seed, number two seed, get a first round bye. And it's definitely going to be exceptional. Now, in football, we see the bye games don't really help. But I don't know how this is going to work out in baseball because it's going to be the first time we're doing that first round bye with the top two teams. So it's going to be an interesting layout. But either way, the Orioles, I am more than sure would be willing to take that first round by their bullpen could use the rest. Um, we're still waiting to find out what the severity is of Bautista. If he's going to need any procedure, what procedure it's going to be. If he is available, that extra rest is nothing but beneficial, but guys like Yenir Kano, Danny Coulomb, Shintaro Fujinami, they could all use that rest. You know, Cole Irvin going back to the bullpen is beneficial to us in many ways because he's already stretched out two starts, so he can give you three, four innings if needed. He can also fill in as a, as a starter if needed. So he gives us so many options as a swing starter bullpen guy because he has the ability to pitch longer out of the bullpen. D.L. Hall. I'm not too upset about him giving up the run the other night. It's going to happen. No pitcher is going to not give up a run. It's just not going to happen. Yenier Cano walked that line for so long this year, people started wondering if he'd go the full season. We knew he wouldn't. Deal Hall gave up a run, unfortunately. There was some help in that inning because I tell you what, if anybody saw the game, the base runner was completely out of the baseline. He was in the infield grass. Should have been automatically out. That would have changed the whole complexity of the inning. You had a runner on first with one out instead of runners on first and second with no outs. So, Deal Hall was not helped in any way by the umpires. And the strike zone that night was just all over the place. I'm not one to sit there and say, the umpires cost a game. Because we did win the game. 
regardless. But in the same aspect, it doesn't help when the umpires aren't being consistent and they're not doing their job properly. I'm sorry, if you can review whether a catcher has catcher interference on a scoring play, why can we not review the fact of a runner going out of the baseline? There is no way with four umpires on that field that not one of them saw this guy laying in the grass before he got to second base. No way. And if they didn't, then they're all completely blind and they definitely don't need to be doing their job. The guy behind the, um, the home plate that night, I wish I could think of his name off the top of my head, his strike zone was unbelievable. Shaquille O'Neal's strike, it was a Shaquille O'Neal size strike zone. It went basically from the eyes down to your ankles, and it was about as wide as a car. And yet, he decided when he wanted to call those pitches strikes and balls, and he definitely took that to his advantage. I don't know if there was something in it for him. I don't know if he just didn't like the Orioles. I don't know. And I hate to sit there and say this, but with as many problems have been going on with the umpires all year, not just against the Orioles, there's many against other teams. These calls are getting utterly ridiculous. It's almost like the umpires are trying to force people to start saying we need, you know, robotic strike zones and everything. It's a mistake. We don't need that. I understand advancing the game to an aspect. I'm still one of those old school guys, but I've accepted and started to learn to understand the metrics of the game now. It's something I wasn't a fan of. I'm still not a big fan of it, but I utilize it. I definitely understand it, and I use it in the writings that I put out in the Baltimore Battery. You know, these are things you adapt, but there are other things that you don't adapt to. And I'm sorry, putting a robotic strike zone out there, it's, it's you're asking for trouble. The great thing, the beauty of baseball is it's human talent you put out a specific strike zone that's going to be the same thing every time every hitter is going to sit there go do their strike zone the way that it's based off the game and they're going to sit there and they're going to hit a thousand balls a day all over that little strike zone if it's not in that little strike zone they're never going to swing you are going to see stupid numbers because of it and i'm sorry i know this is a game that people like offense you know they sped the game up because people got so tired of the one to nothing games it took three hours but it's baseball. Baseball, it's it's a game of chess. You know, it's you set your lineup based off the pitcher, based off the time of day, based off the field you're playing on, based off the weather conditions. You alter your lineup throughout the game based off the score, the situation, the person at bat, the person batting. You know, there's so many aspects to this game. It's a giant chess match. Why are we going to sit there and take the element of human thought and strategy away by having a robot control how things should be. I don't expect the umpires to be perfect. I understand they're going to miss calls. It's part of the game. But when you deliberately have these umpires making calls that are affecting the outcomes of games, that's when I have a problem. That's when there's a huge problem in baseball. And I'm an Orioles fan, so yes, I will gripe about some of these pitches and calls, but in our group chat, we'll sit there and even say, you know, if we don't like the pitch, regardless if it's a strike or not, we'll say if it's a strike. We're honest. This is the one thing I can honestly tell you with the Baltimore Battery, you've got honest writers. You've got honest people who are going to give honest opinions. They're going to use facts to support and back up their statements. If it's 
blatantly just an opinion, which I've written a few pieces that say it's my opinion, we're going to specify. We're not going to sit there and just make things up. We're not going to do things without the research. Zach, Zachary Bucklow, is one of the best statisticians we have. He has stats for almost everything, so we can always go to him to get information if needed. We have so many resources available to us on the internet, we can get up-to-the-minute stats of everything going on. There's no reason for us to make things up and lie. I'm watching the game, and I see an umpire call a straight or a ball that's pitched right down the middle of the plate, belt high, and they call it a ball, I'm going to have a complaint. I might not get on Twitter, or excuse me, X, formerly known as Twitter, and gripe about it, but we might be in our chat, and I'll sit there and say something about it and sit there and complain about the umpire, but I'm a fan. That's part of the game. We're fans. But I'll be honest, too. If it's a legit strike that was called a ball, I'll even mention it's a strike. I've done it with with quite a few. And, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we've gotten lucky with a few calls our way that were called walks that should have been strikes. Part of being a fan is being able to cheer and gripe at the ump. But when the umps are making it so bad that the players are risking getting thrown out of games because of calls, Major League Baseball's got to see something and step in. That game the other night against the Angels, regardless of us winning or not, if I was Brandon Hyde, I would have marched out to the umpire and I would have played the rest of the game under protest. Now, this happens a lot in baseball, and I honestly... I, I don't think many games have been overturned under protest. We're going to actually look this out now. When was the last game? Last MLB game overturned by protest. It's been a long time. Um, last time a baseball game was upheld by protest was in 1986. The Pittsburgh Pirates protested that the umpires called a game due to rain too soon. The league agreed, and the game was resumed. The Pirates lost the game to the St. Louis Cardinals. So it's not often that a game's played under protest that it results in the protest being heard and righted. But it does happen. Um, it also says 2014 upheld protest at Wrigley Field was the first since 1986. However, as the 2021 season, the baseball amended the rule to read that protesting a game is never permitted. Okay, so see, that's something I didn't know. Baseball adjusted rules. But the fact is, there's got to be some type of retaliation point that these umpires have to be held to a standard. And that's the problem. I've always said in NFL that the best thing that would help the, um, the referees and umpires in the NFL would be if they had full-time referees. Baseball employs full-time umpires. So the mistakes that are being done or happening, especially when you get some of these guys who have been around 10, 15, 20 years, have to be questioned because what we're being told and, of course, you've got to take this at face value because what you're being told is not necessarily what is happening behind the scenes either. But what we're being told is that these guys watch hours and hours of tape. They review the calls that are supposedly missed, and they correct them, and then they practice. But I'm sorry. You know when you're making a bad call. 
just like in games, you get some gimme calls. You know, there'll be calls that they make a bad call, and the next play they'll turn around and give you the call because they botched it the time before. But most of the time, these umpires are making some stupid mistakes. They're making some stupid calls, and it's affecting the game in ways that it shouldn't. And what's bad is with all the new things that baseball did this year, which I was skeptical about at first, I will admit, but the larger base pass, you have more people active on the base pass. You know, the pitching clock, it's actually working pretty good. Some pitchers had to adjust to it. One of ours, CNL Perez, took a little bit to get there, but now that he's adjusted and comfortable, he's back to CNL Perez that we had last year. So there was an adjustment period for some people. Same thing with the batters. You have to be facing the pitcher by the time they second, or it's a strike, you know, and it's worked. Unfortunately, we also did have a game this year. That was one because of that. It was questionable in the situation because when you see the video, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, did the player call timeout or not? But I was always taught when I played the game, when you call time, it's not time until the umpire says it's time. So you can call time all you want. If you sit there saying time up, time up, time up, and he doesn't give you time, you don't have the ability to just step out. So that's where I can see where that one was. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty to each their own. The point I'm getting at is there were rules that were put into place this year to help speed up the game of baseball, and they've done a great job. The game is a little bit more exciting because of it. I can honestly tell you, my mom, my, me and my, my, mom, my dad, and me watch these games all the time. I've got my mom completely addicted to the Orioles. Big Santander fan, so shout out to her. But we watch these games, and it's the excitement and the intense intensity of each at-bat and each pitch is heightened more because it feels like the game's shorter. So it feels like you don't have the chance to come back the way it did, you know, say last year, five years ago, where we were playing games that were three and four hours long. You're playing games right around the three-hour mark and under, so it feels like you have less time to get that opportunity to come back. We don't need umpires to screw that up by making these stupid calls, by making these missed calls. And I, I expect there are going to be some missed ones, but we have replay for a certain reason, and it can only be used so many times, which is good. There does need to be a limit on that. But we've got to do something to get these umpires under control and back on point. That being said, we're going to turn script, and I want to bring up Anthony Santander. Monster, monster August. Honestly, I think the guy should be in line for a player of the month. Um, just had a phenomenal August. Uh, eight home runs, 21 RBIs. He did strike out 21 times, but if you're striking out for every RBI you're getting, I'm willing to take that. You know, um, it's interesting. I have an article that should be coming out um, either tonight or tomorrow about Santander, he's got a 1,000 fielding percentage. And that's playing 11 games at first base, one game in left field, and the remaining games in right between DHing some. He's got a 1,000 fielding percentage. And one of the knocks on, on Santander has been he's slow to the ball. The man's got some speed, but it's not, you know, lightning speed. And it's one of the reasons why you see Ryan McKenna replace him in late innings as a defensive replacement because 
people are worried about his defense. You know, during the strike season, or not the strike season, the COVID season, he was a finalist for a gold glove. So, you know, I think people forget that he does have defensive ability and defensive skills out there. Um, but, of course, everybody knows what we're going to talk about with Santander is Tony Taylor's getting hot. And that's the big thing is Tony Taylor's got hot at the right time. Coincidentally, it was one of the world's best months in August. So this is what having a player like Santander can do. Same thing with Ryan Mountcastle. And you get Mountcastle and Santander hot at the right time with Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, you know, Austin Hayes, Ryan O'Hearn. You know, it, it's it's a synced system from top to bottom in this lineup. And you can adjust these players. You can have Cedric Mullins leading off, Austin Hayes leading off, Gunnar Henderson leading off, Adley Rutschman leading off. Hell, in a pinch, you can put Adam Frazier leading off. We even had Mateo try a couple times. But the fact is, you can put any of these guys in the leadoff spot, and it just changes the dynamic of how the lineup's going to flow. But we're sitting there, I'm looking at Santander, and in the month of August alone, like I said, the guy hit eight home runs. He had 21 RBIs. He had 24 total hits. I lied. <laughs> he had 24 total hits in the month. 12 of those hits went for extra bases. So half of his production between home runs and doubles, he had eight home runs, four doubles, went for, you know, extra bases. And when you have a hitter who's capable of doing that, that's a benefit. He walked eight times. Uh, he slashed 276, had a 333 on base percentage with a 598 slugging percentage. You know, it's that's big. We need him healthy. And when he's healthy, he's a huge different maker, difference maker. On the season, he currently has 27 home runs, 82 RBIs. He's with he's six home runs away from tying his career high. Um, so there's an outside chance he could get that. Um, he's nine RBIs away from setting a career high in RBIs. So I think he can get that. He's already set a career high in doubles this season. Um, he's got 39, 34, I'm sorry, 34 doubles already, 27 home runs and a triple. He's sitting at 62 extra base hits. He has 131 hits. He is close to 50% of his production is extra base hits. On top of that, he's walked 50 times, so six more walks. He sets a career high. He has scored 73 runs. He's five runs away from uh, matching his career high. So it's a career year, and honestly, I think you have to put him in the conversation for Silver Slugger. Um, they said it last night that he entered that conversation. I think he should have been there already. Um, I don't think that he's appreciated the way that he should be nationally as he is by Birdland. And part of that is because nationally, a lot of people didn't think the Orioles were going to be as good as they are. They didn't think they'd be able to last this long. May was supposed to destroy us. July was supposed to destroy us. The first part of August was supposed to destroy us. And yet we keep standing up and taking them down, standing up, taking them down. Three and a half games ahead of the wild card or ahead of 
Tampa Bay forcing them into a wild card position, 88 and 51. We are 37 games over 500. We're five wins over last year's total, and the season's not even over. Um, me and Jason Benowitz had predicted the Orioles would get 88 wins this year. So we've reached that number. Of course, they're going to beat that. So that projection <laughs> went up the window there. Um, other news, Austin Voth, yay, was DFA'd. You know, I cheered for that one. Did clear waivers, not surprised, but he did accept assignment to AAA Norfolk. So he still is in our system, unfortunately. We did get Rodrigo Lopez back. Um, not Rodrigo. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm sorry. We got Jorge Lopez back. Don't know why I said Rodrigo. We got Jorge Lopez back, which definitely he seems excited about that. It's worked out pretty good for us so far coming out of the pen in his two starts um, or two appearances. So definitely glad to see that. Um, Dio Hall's looked very good. Fujinami has looked really good lately. I think starting to come together for him and it's part of that because he's getting the opportunity and he's getting the uh feedback of what he's capable of and seeing it it doesn't have to be power the pitch past everybody place it put it in different positions adjust your speeds adjust your arm angle things like that and it'll come to fruition and work out so good things going on there uh also jackson holiday i've been saying it all year he would hit AAA before he was 20 years old. Boom, he's there for the last part of the season. Struggled a little bit there. He does have his first double. He has a space twice. Uh, he went 0 for 6 last night. Not sure what he's doing tonight or if he's playing. Um, but Jackson Holiday, AAA. So uh, expect him to have a shot to make the club next season. Would be my expectation if he's in AAA now. Um, probably not. We'll start the season in AAA. But... Mark my words, I'll say it again. You can go back and hear me say it numerous episodes. He will be in the big leagues by the time he's 20 years old. On that note, Birdland, we're going to close up here. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank the Baltimore Battery for giving me the opportunity to have this platform. Don't forget to head over to thebaltimorebattery.com. Check out all the articles. We have a new article from RJ Delberto. Zachary Bucklow has a new article out. I have an article that should be dropping either later tonight or tomorrow. So go on over there. Find your favorite writer. Comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear about. You can find the Baltimore Battery on TikTok and Twitter, which is now X. Tag handle is at the Bmore Battery. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, which is now X, and TikTok. Sorry, I drew a blank. Tag handle is at SRJ, last name Heckman, H-E-C-K-M-A-N. Also, Final Strike is now available on Twitter, or X, formerly known as Twitter. We are at the Final Strike underscore so give us a follow be sure to comment like let us know and share when you see what we've posted also want to thank scooters for rent for giving me the opportunity to do all this they are our sponsors so thank you scooters for rent remember if you're in the maryland or delaware eastern shore area and you're looking for mobility products scooter scooters manual wheelchairs electric wheelchairs beach wheelchairs lift chairs they're the people to call 
Call 302-280-6203 or visit Scooters, the number four, the word rent, dot com. Actually, I lied. It's scooters-the-number-four-rent.com. Make sure you tell them Stephen from The Final Strike sent you. Birdland, I appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening. Until next week, we will be back. Let's go, Birdland. Until then, peace out. One strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see. The best ever. Barons and Johnson on this pitch. Deep left field.